Calling Dick Tracy. Come in, Dick Tracy. A podcast is in progress. Tracy Minute Podcast, recapping 1990s Dick Tracy at the rate of one minute of screen time per episode. And my name's Parker. And my name is Rob, and you won't believe how big my Tracy is. Oh. (laughs) Oh, dear God, I've done it again. Okay, so... Today is the long-awaited, very exciting first actual minute of the film. And the first minute, of course, means the credits. And I gotta tell you, right off the bat, we got some good credits. We got some good stuff in this minute. Yeah, I mean, they're go- I mean, the f- very first thing you see is the Touchstone Pictures logo. And when I see that, when I see that logo, I immediately think the 1990s, like the, the classy side of the 1990s. What, what does that logo make you think of? Uh, absolutely the same thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, I think at some point, we might have even had a pair of sweatpants in my household with like a, a chipped version of the Touchstone logo on it. Both my parents have, you know, they they always sort of had different um, radio and television and, and movie related. My mom absolutely has an MGM Pictures sweater that she she got somewhere in the 70s. I'm, I'm guessing the, these are sweatpants that you'd wear to a classy cocktail party, though. Like, they, they weren't... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd wear them, uh, I guess, the Touchstone Pictures annual uh, champagne soiree because they keep it casual there, uh, casual but classy. You could actually definitely uh, wear it with a you know big white 1990s sweatshirt with the Look Who's Talking poster on the front. Um, but yeah, no, I love the Touchstone Pictures logo. I, I love just the excitement of you know seeing that lightning bolt skip along the words and then hit the blue globe and bring it to life. And then I suppose we, we segue <laughs> then from Touchstone Pictures into Touchstone Pictures presents. And what, what, what yeah. font? What font do you want to, what type's face do you think this is? That's a good question because it's, it's, it's got that sort of Futura look, but I think yeah. we might be, we might be dealing with Ariel Narrow or I don't know, maybe, maybe a custom font. Uh, do you think there's a big font budget for, uh, I mean, there's some good fonts later on. It yeah. could be, yeah, you think of Calibri? I don't know. If, if you're listening to this and you know what font it is, please do uh, get at us on Twitter or Facebook to let us know because we're font fanatics here. And, and you get that opening kind of growl of the theme tune uh, by Danny Elfman and immediately you're, you're thinking of things like Batman and all that sort of stuff. But once I hear that, like it's impossible for me to not hear that in the crappy VHS quality that I've watched this movie in like a million times. Oh, it's lo-fi Tracy beats to study and grow up to for sure. And I feel like even when I watch it in Blu-ray, like I still can't not hear it in that original way. Like it, it kind of just like crackles into into being. I don't know how you feel about that. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think um, like you and I are both big movie score fans, and this is one of the the best sort of like leitmotif character driven uh, movie scores. And this is, I think, one of the best, maybe the best example of. This score is is it uses Dick Tracy's theme the da 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 
throughout the film millions of times, right? Mm, that yeah. first opening swell where it's no th- frills, there's no background, it's, it's just the horns, right? Setting up that thesis statement of Dick Tracy. It, every time it's like chills. It's like, oh man, like, you know, I love, that's one of my favorite sort of like cinematic uh, bag of tricks things like when they just do like the inception does it you know lots of different (laughs) much more well-known films titanic uh there's there have been lots of articles about people you know complaining about oh teenage girls would start crying in the theater when they'd hear that no frills first few notes of my heart will go on in titanic and uh i don't know i I always feel like crying when i hear the the tracy theme well it's interesting as well because it, it starts off and it's clearly like the, the, the text is kind of grayish kind of it's it's as if they're trying to evoke a black and white film mm-hmm. so it's almost like they're trying to say you know that this is an old-timey character that w- was on sort of radio serials and things like that and it's almost like radio serial quality like maybe m- maybe it genuinely is supposed to sound like low quality it's like radio mm-hmm. serial quality and then we see this boom this like blast of color just like smack us in the face where we see these like very very stark reds just like Absolutely. searing into our eyes and then the sound quality suddenly improves and you, you hear the kind of horns just like increase all of a sudden and uh, you see three very distinct, uh, very prominent props appear. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it strikes me as one of the most, like for a film that I think lots of people caught on TV a lot, hmm. this is a thing where like if you caught the start of it on TV not knowing what it was, like you'd be hooked just by exactly that blast of color and the props and an end and the music. And it's just like, what is, is this world I'm looking at? And even the touchstone logo was black and white at the beginning. So I suppose that the, the props we're seeing yeah. that the, the props we see now are from left to right. We see Dick Tracy's <laughs> two way wrist radio watch. We see an old timey radio, a black and red old timey radio with two dials and a big speaker. We see a, a police badge, the, the kind of which you'd get in a, a dollar store or a pound shop, as we call them here <laughs> in Ireland. And then we see his gun, which he picks up very quickly. Uh, I don't know the make of the gun. I'm going to guess that it's some kind of a Glock, but I'll have a better... You, you, you're more of a gun aficionado than I am, being that you're from Actually, a country. Actually, yeah, I don't, I don't have the picture in front of me. Let me see if I can get it here. Um, because yeah, like it's, you know what it is, is, I mean, I don't know what the gun is, uh, by all means write to us and and let us know, uh, any old timey gun enthusiasts out there, but it's another one of those things where the tableau of these objects, uh, to quote another 1990 Danny Elfman project, you've got a gun, a badge and a prayer as we know from the flash. And, uh, but instead it's, uh, in this case, it's a gun, a badge and a two way signal watch. Not quite as catchy, but it gets the job done. So he picks up the gun first, which is kind of, I don't know, do you want to read into that as you know, that it's, it's force first, authority second and communication third. (laughs) It's kind of the American dream really, isn't it? Absolutely. And then the, the camera, the camera pans up over the radio and then we see that logo dick tracy and the the, the logo i mean i have a couple of thoughts about the logo what do you think about the logo when it pops up initially well i think uh we're going to probably be on maybe the same page that it's it's in stark contrast to you know everything we've seen so far we've seen these very Mm. minimalist deco black and white letters and then these these bloated cartoon block letters like dick tracy it hits you you know with it's it's almost silly, but it's more just that it's it's larger than life, and I I don't know I love it. It's it's again like there's just something so satisfying about it. Yeah, I, I, McDonald's people knew it. The the Dick Tracy people knew it. 
maybe Iron Man, and that's about it. I I I almost always feel like there's something just a little bit missing from the logo. Like I I don't know if it was the best decision to just transplant the logo from the comic strip into the movie. Like hmm. if you if you look at other comic book movies, like obviously Batman didn't the the, the iconography of that movie was completely different. But Superman, you just got uh, some time to do Roman, yeah. Superman the movie took took the logo from the comic and made it kind of three dimensional and and did some kind of cool special effects with it and then it wasn't until the fourth movie where they they kind of said okay well let's just use the exact logo from the comic and see what happens and everybody reacted pretty badly to that and i i, I kind of feel similar to this and that they, they just kind of copied and pasted and they maybe they could have done something a little bit more fun and interesting with it to sort of underline the fact that this is a live action interpretation and maybe it's hard to say too it's like i mean maybe for the old fans you know it was kind of like a fun like oh wow they're using the original logo you know that people always make a big deal of on the internet these days Mm. but uh yeah i absolutely know what you mean it would have been really something if uh the letters had come right out of the screen at us uh or actually on that note um the trailer for this film like a few minutes ahead flat top shoots uh, a taunt to Dick Tracy into a brick wall with mm. a Tommy gun. And it's like one of the best sort of known things from the film. The trailer for this film has Tracy himself shooting his own name into a brick wall with the machine gun. So it's a far cry. I never knew that. And that's the best thing I've ever learned about this movie. And I feel like that should have been the opening credits. Um, I, I, it might have been a little out of character. Part of me wonders if maybe they had something like that planned and then they scrapped it at the last second in favor of this thing. Well, I mean, I guess we could, you could have had, since this is the wall of Dick Tracy's apartment, you could have had the bullet holes there on the uh, on the understanding that Dick Tracy sits up at night shooting his own name into the wall with his service pistol, just sort of, mm-hmm. not a Tommy gun, but, you know, and then he shoots out the light when he's finished. Chief Wiggum style. Uh, yeah, you know, but moving swiftly along. We, we get that amazing shot where it just pans over his and, and this is all remember this has all just been one shot so far uh, it pans over it's now kind of a red desk and it's got his trademark yellow hat on the desk and he reaches forward and grabs that do you reckon that's actually Warren Beatty's hand or do you think that's like someone they got after the fact to, to be the hand that's a great question um i'm gonna i'm thinking it's probably warren himself just based on uh there's a making of on youtube that i think like i've i only watched it for the first time a couple years ago but it might have been you who sent it to me it shows warren Beatty making the film and from what we could see he's involved in every single like during one of the club scenes when big boy is dancing with the chorus girls in the film behind the scenes it's warren Beatty doing the dance to do the choreography with them as well so oh, I'm, I'm hoping it's his hand but i mean maybe he was uh busy doing the camera um, i mean it does it does look like a 50 year old hand so that makes me think that it probably is warren Beatty, but you wouldn't know 50 year old hand and a 35 year old face yeah now, actually, here's something to the credit of, of doing such a deep dive into the film. I've watched this film, you know, hundreds of times as of you over the years. I always thought he was taking his hat off his desk. Not until watching this minute just to do this episode did I realize it's kind of this weird uh, depth angle thing going on. The radio, watch, and badge and gun are on the desk. His hat is hanging on the wall above the radio, and it look—it's just that the wall is the same color as the desk, and it's—and there's oh my god, the you're way right. the shot's done. Like there's such a weird depth of uh, depth of field to it 
that yeah you don't get the sense that it's further back but yeah it's on the wall above the radio and um well we should probably that's our foray we should we should probably talk about the fact that that this film apparently and I, i've always had trouble believing this but apparently it does actually only use four colors in its palette to reference hmm. the fact that the comic only ever had four colors so the fact that we can't determine like we can't tell the depth of field in the shot is probably down to mm-hmm. the fact that there's such a, a very stark color and that, that there's no kind of you, you know you just can't yeah, see the depth a homogeneity of red that you would usually see in another film and he's probably done that on purpose to kind of outline that stark kind of lack of contrast uh in that you, you you're just panning up and mm-hmm. I've, I've literally never noticed that in 25 years well, watching this film yeah it's crazy i mean it's it's we always say this is one of the great films for every time you watch it you notice new stuff and um and that yeah that's ringing true like watching it um, like every time you watch each minute of it apparently there's just little things like that i I feel like the the four color only thing that probably rings true to this intro actually i think the intro is basically just red yellow and blue later in the film i know you get greens and oranges and, and purples in terms of people's different outfits but it's um yeah, that's. I think there's definitely a few predominant primary colors that are, are really being used throughout, and certainly not variants of shade. We can we can examine this throughout the show, but maybe it's a case that it's just it's only ever four colors in the same shot or in the same scene or something like that. I I do struggle with the idea that it's four colors in the entire movie because that just can't be true. I would assume it's more just that there's no like sort of varying shades of the color there's one shade of blue that's used in every different blue object you see and same with the red and same with green or orange or anything like like as opposed to like somebody wearing like powder blue and somebody else wearing navy or something it's just that same sort of like ultramarine Hmm. on every blue prop throughout the film and and that could be oh well i guess we'll find out this could be this will be info wars dick tracy truth (laughs) uh, the 11 color minute podcast at uh you know as we gradually lose our minds we fade to uh, or no we don't fade we immediately cut to the exterior of the kind of apartment building type thing and it's a, a very kind of art deco batman-y looking building uh, and the only illuminated window we see is uh, dick tracy's window which is still a very stark red and we see him place the jacket on himself and turn off the light and or sorry he opens the door and then turns off the light and then um that's that's the minute so that's uh that's yeah the play-by-play i mean and that opening the door turning off the light i've said before very reminiscent many years later of ryan gosling in drive to the point where i'd, I'd kind of like to see a dick tracy credit synced up to night call by kavinsky because i think it would work pretty well but yeah like the thing is in this minute you've got a few different sort of levels to it that's everything that happens and those are sort of the visuals but and the music but there's also this radio voiceover going the entire time describing just these horrific crimes which are plaguing the unnamed city in which uh our film is set gangland enforcers broke the arms of an elderly news dealer today this afternoon when he refused (laughs) to share his week's receipts with him uncanny which did kind of disturb me as a, the, the idea that they broke the arms of an elderly man like this is something that they're introducing in the opening minutes of this movie that's for kids like it is it, i mean it is kind of brutal it's kind of shocking it really just shows how bad things are uh for the city at the beginning of this film. and certainly throughout the film the gangsters you know they shoot people a guy gets buried in cement some horrifying things happen in this film 
I don't remember any kind of American History X-esque sequence of an elderly <laughs> uh, newspaper vendor getting his arms broken. And, and as a kid, but, it always struck me as like, why didn't he just give them the receipts? I mean, it's not like they're money. They're just receipts. <laughs> I don't know. Did you it's think the that principle of the thing? You can't let criminals have their way. But but did, did you realize that when the, the, the newsreader is... It, what he's describing when he says receipts he means the cash that the news dealer has made that week i thought that receipts literally meant this minute the, I, I thought that he literally meant the the piece of paper with the description of the products and services 100%. i always thought that as a not until this this very conversation uh i have always taken i've never taken that to mean uh the actual deposits I've always taken it to mean like, yeah, they wanted the receipts maybe to, because, well, you know what it is. It's a numbers racket. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows what goes on. As a kid, you hear, oh, they stole their receipts. And apparently as a 30-year-old man told just now. They wanted the, uh, they, they wanted the ability to return the newspapers back to the vendor for a cash <laughs> refund. That's what I Absolutely. honestly I mean, that's the good. oldest scam in the book. Yeah. I mean, we've all done it. <laughs> uh, would you like to talk about the fact that but just just immediately prior to the conclusion of this minute, we see three names uh, blast up on screen. Um, so we see Warren Beatty, or Warren Beatty, as I called him as a kid. Um, he's credited as Dick Tracy. Uh, Charlie Corsmo is credited as The Kid. And William Forsyth is credited as Flat Top. And the reason they are credited that way is because they are credited in order of appearance. I'm guessing that Warren Brady did that because there are so many A-listers in this movie and that was the only conceivable way to do it without pissing anybody off. Well, I think it's also, yeah, like it's potentially, he saw the writing on the wall um, for Batman where Jack Nicholson gets top billing. Yes. Over Batman himself, Michael Keaton. And same with Superman back in the day where it's Marlon Brando, then Gene Hackman, then Christopher Reeve. Warren Beatty was not having this be an Al Pacino film, because you know it would have been Al Pacino. I mean, you never... Warren well, Beatty's not necessarily. Warren Beatty. to say. Well, I feel like Warren Beatty was famous for longer than Al Pacino, but Al, yeah, Pacino, was, Al Pacino was definitely at the height of his powers at this point. Yeah, uh, you're right. Or, or, back, or, ne- or nearly there. I mean, he had two godfathers, the two best godfathers, uh, Scarface... Uh, Dog Dad, you know, man. Serpico, In- Carlitos Way, they'd all been made at this point, I mm-hmm. think. And then, uh, you know, so he was definitely at the height of his power. So, yeah, maybe he could have got, but Warren Beatty had definitely been around longer. But uh, Charlie Corsmo. Yes. Charlie Corsmo is a child actor who appeared in most notably this and uh, the 1990, I want to say, one movie, Hook by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, another. Uh, I, I, I'd say it's not as forgotten as this movie but it's definitely as underrated as this movie uh, we both love Hook a great deal I think it's I think it's really really good I think everyone our age absolutely loves it eh. I've never met anyone our age who does, I know so many people it's the most common like worn out tape story I've, every time I'm, I'm having this with any other person who was born around 89 or 90 it's like what's the tape you actually physically wore out as a kid I, I, it's almost always I hooked. feel like Everyone our age either loves it or really likes it. I don't know anyone our age who hates it. <laughs> I know plenty of people 10 years older than us that hate the hate Hook. Plenty of cantankerous adults who yeah. left Neverland and... Forgot how to dream. But in those two performances, Charlie Corsmo as Peter Pan's son Jack and Hook, and as the kid in this, 
I'm pretty comfortable calling him the best child actor ever. Yeah, and I, I think... Or certainly of the generation. It sort of speaks to Steven Spielberg's ability to find um, actors who happen to be children who are really, really talented and really natural and able to just give natural performances that didn't feel like something off the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon Absolutely. or something. And, and he was just a classic example of that, but possibly... It, in in a movie that wasn't as beloved as other Steven Spielberg movies, so that's why he didn't end up having the same level of recognition as you know I forget the actor's name, but the guy who played Elliot and E.T. or Christian Bale, obviously in Empire of the Sun, or you know that the, there's 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 so many examples of Drew Barrymore, like I think he just left though. As far as I know, Corsmo just he yeah. he aged out of it, and and he's had this amazing career. He's been I think he's a law professor uh, at MIT, and at one point he was on. Um, the board of directors for like the most he was appointed by Obama I think yep. to be on the board for the most um, prestigious science scholarship in America That's and amazing. I think outside of that he's he's a law professor but yeah I mean good good for that kid he, he'd already accomplished everything you could possibly accomplish as an actor by age you know 13 or so so look I mean I, w- I want to talk about these actors in greater detail when we actually see them in the in the given minutes but what, what would you like to say about True. William Forsythe the main thing there is that of everyone in this film with incredible amounts of makeup all that stuff William Forsythe is the one that looks the furthest from how he appears in real life like seeing him after 20 years of, of seeing him as flat top seeing him without the flat top makeup in a, in a different film in a virtuosity Never, never would I recognize, would I have recognized him as the same dude. Mm. He doesn't sound any, what do you mean? I have seen, I'm just going through his IMDb right now. I have seen the film uh, Blue Streak, Dick Tracy, obviously. Hmm. Okay, 2016, 2018. That is it. Yeah, oh, he's in in an episode of Daredevil. Okay, I've definitely seen that, but I don't remember who he played in that. Uh, yeah, he's Definitely he's one of these again. storied actors with an incredible career, and this is the only film I've ever seen him appear in. Gotta watch um, Virtuosity. It, Russell Crowe, Denzel. He is. Oh no! Apologies, apologies. I've seen Once Upon a Time in America. He's in that as well. Um, I don't remember who he plays in that though. Because you'd never recognize it. He's this he's this football coach looking like all American sort of guy. And like, and in this, he's this this nerdy, cringy. Uh, he's a ginger in this, which he's not in real life. But the character of Flattop, also not a ginger in the comics. Really? Do you know about this? No. So in the comics, uh, Flattop was always um, a sort of mixed race guy. He he always he apparently he was supposed to be half black at times. Like uh, they, I think they actually called him a quote unquote mulatto. Interesting. That, interesting the that they film, didn't put that in the movie. Yeah, interesting actually that there there's quite. Um, a sort of consistency of race in this film in that uh, it's mostly white people in this film as uh, was an issue from what I've heard in comic book films for a very long time. Um, You've heard. But also it was kind of like, do you make the most... Flattop's kind of the most loathsome gangster in the film of, of anybody in the film, even Big Big Boy's almost lovable at times. Flattop is the one that feels just like you got to watch out for that guy. I can't wait to see him uh, get offed. Uh, so, I, f- I feel like Lips Manless is probably up there as well but I mean again we'll get to this but uh, <laughs> like uh, uh, Lips Manless and Prude Face for me I always thought he was pretty disgusting and I couldn't wait for him to die when I was a kid um, yeah but yeah th- those are the three actors we've been introduced to uh, in these in these opening minutes um, 
Is there anything else you'd like to say about what we see so far? I mean, whether it's the the opening colors, that old timey radio. I suppose I mentioned in the the trailer episode how there's a radio later on in the movie, and uh, I just it's one of my favorite props, uh, or at least it was the last time I watched the movie. This is a really nice prop as well, and it looks like it was specially made for the movie. It's it's this great big kind of rounded off radio with a great big speaker right in the middle with a red outline and two beautiful red dials and that lovely little old-timey light just kind of under the speaker and mm. um, oh, absolutely you can feel the radiation coming off that thing do, do, you, do you think maybe they were trying to reference the fact that you know dick tracy might have been known as being a radio character i mean i, I don't know how popular the dick Ooh, tracy good point. i know that there was a dick tracy radio show i don't know if it was as popular as like the shadow or superman or those kind of ones um, i i've never given it thought before but uh i definitely think um that's right there it's to sort of like do the transition from the comic book looking sort of two-dimensionality of the desk wall thing and then to the radio and the the old timey sort of like mid range vocals, you know, barking from the radio, and then into film from there. I, I would definitely think that's a conscious uh, reference. That's pretty cool. And and actually, just while I think about it as well, like the announcer's voice. One thing that really annoys me in um, a lot of period films that are made, especially more recent period films, nobody sounds like they would have sounded in the 30s based on what we've seen from mm. movies that were made in the 30s like you get that in Captain America and you know a lot of the Scorsese films and stuff like that like I fully appreciate that the accents we hear in movies that were actually made in the 30s are probably affected accents that don't actually represent what people sounded like back then but I still want to hear those accents when I watch a movie that's like a period film. <laughs> so I, I love that about Dick Tracy is that all the newsreaders have that. Wux try, wux try. You know. <laughs> wux try. <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, I know um, Seth MacFarlane uh, of Family Guy fame has this, he, he's a huge old-time radio fan, and I've seen interviews with him where he has this theory that... Um, the old the 30s and 40s microphones just sort of picked up the mid-range of the uh, vocals more mm. and that sort of led to these thing in all the commercials you know like what stram washing detergent the only washing detergent you need and it's it's the sort of nasal quality that we we associate with that time period whether or not anybody talked like that maybe, maybe everyone was just sort of really sinusy with all the leaded gasoline and uh oh you know, un-EPA regulated. But the, a lot of these old films have smokestacks in them. Maybe that sort of gave everyone the yeah, the old-timey sound. But yeah, no, I love it. I love listening. I can listen to that stuff I've, all day. I've listened to hours upon hours of the old Superman show, and I can tell you now that show is 90% ads. Uh, <laughs> so if you think that only came about with YouTube, you're dead wrong, Buster. Bingo. And uh, you know a, a lot of the ads in that in that show are for coal and a anthracite as they call it. So you know if people were sitting at home listening to the radio and breathing in all that coal, you know I'm not surprised it had some kind of effect on their voice. You put on your asbestos fireproof brand asbestos sweater and then go down and say, "I'll have a carton of milk." No, the milk came to your door back then. What the f am I talking about? Well, I think that's a great point to <laughs> kind of. You know, on this on this topic of death, we can probably uh, wrap up this week's minute of uh, Dick Tracy minute. What do you think, Parker? Uh, I'd say so, yeah, because the thing is, uh, what I've learned from this minute 
is we could probably do a Dick Tracy second podcast and would have plenty to cover in each individual 24 frames. But uh, at the blinding pace we're doing this, um, yeah, we have tons to cover. And great first minute for a film. I think the barrier for a lot of film minute podcasts is long, slow openings. And this one just gets right to a lot of special stuff. Yeah, I mean, it really tells you, it it immediately tells you what you're in for with this movie. He's a cop, he's got a gun, he's got a kick-ass hat and he's got a badass looking watch we don't know what it's going to do yet but we know it's it's going to be something special all right so uh that's about it for this minute moving on to the next one we hope we've piqued your interest and we'll catch you for that one this is rob uh over and out i'm turning off my wrist radio this is parker closing the dispatcher today and heading down to bud's diner for a bowl of chili or uh well i guess we'll see galvanized rubber (laughs) 